This Week at Church, Pastor Robin McKinley continues his AD series with When an Enemy Needs a Friend. You can join us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for free coffee, free baked goods, a worship service, and a sermon to follow. The church is located by the Coventry Mall on Laurelwood Road. Saul, a newly converted disciple, was formerly an enemy of the church. He came to town hoping to meet up with the disciples, but they weren't interested. I mean, can you blame them? They knew people that he had sent to prison. They knew this guy. He knew, they knew what they had, he had done to their family, to their friends. Maybe they even wanted to believe that he had changed, but it just sounded too good to be true. I, I feel that I'm way too loud, guys. They didn't want to take a chance at this, r this rumored conversion thing. I mean, was it? Just a rumor. What do you think if you'd have been in their place? Would you have done the same thing? You know, there's a lot of what-ifs in the Bible. What if you'd have been there when Jesus was taken to the cross? What if you'd have been there when the disciples were speaking in your language? What if you'd have been there right now when Paul saying he got saved? What would you have done? What keeps us from taking risks? What keeps us from wanting to form relationships with other people? I'm starting with your notes now, if you're following your notes. The first thing is, fear keeps us from taking a risk. We might feel, uh, we might fear failure when we're starting a new business or a new venture. And that's just normal. You know, am I going to make it? Am I going to fear? Uh, uh, fail. But, when it comes to a relationship with someone, we fear rejection, especially in relationships. We wonder, will they accept me? Will they accept me as I am? Can I tell them part of my past? Can I really open up to them? You see, Saul had hurt people. And when it comes to taking a risk on someone who has hurt us in the past, we're probably most afraid of being hurt again. Maybe we've been hurt by an ex or a business partner, employer. And, and they've come to us and they've said, I've changed. Ha ha ha, yeah, right. You know, Saul had hurt people. He had thrown men, in prison, uh, men and women in prison. He was so opposed to Christianity, it developed a hatred within him. He was dedicated to destroying the church. If you were a Christian back then and you heard Saul was coming to town, you either hid or you got out of town. When he showed up in Jerusalem, no doubt a rumor began to circulate that he had changed. The wise thing would have been Disregard the rumor and stay clear of Paul or Saul, who he was at that time. Remember, the disciples weren't just protecting themselves. They were protecting a whole community of believers. Taking a risk on one man could have meant that it was going to destroy the whole thing. It wasn't worth it. You know, sometimes fear can sound a lot like wisdom. 
Here, here's what we do. We, we rationalize things in our mind. You know, it's like, do you really think that's a good idea? This is fear talking now, but we're rationalizing. Do you really, did you really hear from God about that? Or aren't you afraid of failing? You're just, you aren't afraid of failing. You're just being careful. You're being careful. God doesn't rationalize our fear. God conquers our fear. Hallelujah. And that's what God told Joshua three times as he's getting ready to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. He says, be strong and courageous. God wanted to stamp out all fear and let Joshua stand on his words. Essentially what he was telling Joshua, get moving, don't be afraid. Just go and I'll go with you. Fear wants, us, wants to keep us right where we're at. When God has something better for us, God wants to take us to a different destination. You know, fear will keep us from taking risks. Also, doubt keeps us from taking risk. If something sounds too good, you've heard that before. What do you think? If, you've been, if you'd been one of the disciples back then, would you have believed that God could have changed Saul? Listen to this. We can't even think that God can change a relative who's obnoxious, let alone a person who actually hated Jesus. Changed him just like that. You know the saying, if it's too good? If it sounds too good, it, it probably isn't. Saul, the number one enemy of Christians, became one of them? Uh-uh. That sounds way too good to be true. He just wants to find out where we're hiding. He just wants to infiltrate where we're at. What about when someone claims that they've changed? I mean, it's understandable to be wary. When someone comes to us claiming they've changed, what if they're wrong? What if they're lying? What if they're just wanting to hurt us again? I doubt it. I doubt that they're changed. Maybe you've, you've been hurt by someone over and over and over and over again. And now you're to the point where you don't feel like you can ever trust that person again. Hmm. We know we're supposed to believe that God can change anybody. It's just that there seems to be so many people who don't change. Wow. And if we're talking about a person who can harm us, it's safer to stick with our doubt, right? Why take the risk? Why make it a lost cause? So there's fear and there's doubt that keeps us from taking a risk on relationships. But there's one far more sinister than both of those. And that is cynicism. Cynicism happens when we decide that our preconceived prejudices represent reality. We apply them to everyone and everything. Cynicism thinks it knows better. People don't change. They can't be trusted. Risks are never worth it. That's cynicism. In our mind, we figured out the way things really work. 
We aren't about to be taken in by the likes of that person. We know that what people are really like. We know their game. We know their motives. Nah, we're not going to be fooled again by them. When we're cynics, we say, I'm just being realistic. What is cynicism? It's taking all of our doubts and all of our fears and making them hard. We forge them into armor that we can wear to protect us from the world. That's what cynicism is. Probably not all the disciples in these verses were cynics. But I'll bet a few of them were. And they try to portray Simon in the video as certainly being one. You can't see your friends get arrested and killed without becoming a little hardened. A few of the disciples probably didn't care if it was true or not. Who cares about Saul? Let him figure out his own life. This is what he gets for all he's done. Cynicism hardens our heart to true relationships and makes future potential friends pay for their sins of what they've done in the past. That's cynicism. You see, when we have a chance to take a risk on someone, fear says they might hurt you. Doubt says they probably haven't changed. Cynicism says they will hurt you and they will never change. These are things keeping us from taking a risk. Saul's conversion could have been an act meant to trick them. Or it could have been a temporary change in their lives. I've seen that in people. They got saved for a day. Next day, they're not saved anymore. But then there's another possibility. God could have actually changed his life. Yeah. Sometimes we don't think of that possibility, do we? Only one person was willing to consider that, that possibility. And that was Barnabas. Barnabas decided to look for Saul... Saul didn't look for Barnabas. Barnabas decided to look for Saul to find the truth for himself. And what he found changed everything. So what did Barnabas do? How can we be more like Barnabas? What does it look like for us to take a risk on people that God loves? And we're not so sure about. Well, first of all, take time to hear their story. Everyone has a story. Someone said the reason God gave us two ears and one mouth is because he intended us for us to listen twice as much as we speak. I don't know why he gave us ten fingers. There are five words that could transform a relationship. That's interesting. Tell me more. Simple words, but indescribably inviting. The recipient will usually relax and open up. And the rest of the disciples assumed that they knew everything they needed to know about Saul. Either they assumed they already knew his story, or they were afraid to find out. Barnabas wasn't. Maybe Barnabas really wanted to hear Saul's story. Maybe he wanted to understand what had led him to such a dramatic change in his life. So listen to their story. Secondly, verify the facts. 
Barnabas wanted to make sure Saul was for real. Hey, if it was a lie, the entire church would be in danger. We need to discern for ourselves whether God is truly at work in someone's life or whether they're simply trying to manipulate us. And you want to know something? If you get burnt trying to decide, God will always pick you up. And he will make you a better person for taking the risk. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. The difference is we ought always to forgive. In fact, if you have unforgiveness in your heart, I fear for you. I fear for you. If, you had made this, if you've made the statement and still st stand by it, I can never forgive that person. Man, you get yourself to the altar and you ask God to forgive you and then you forgive that person because I fear for your soul. We ought always to forgive. That's a given. But if reconciliation is to occur, the facts usually need to be verified. Has true repentance occurred? Is there a willingness to make restitution? Is there evidence of a changed life? And you know, restitution doesn't have to happen overnight. It can be a process that takes time. But forgiveness needs to be overnight. We don't know what all Barnabas and Saul talked about. But whenever Barnabas, whatever Barnabas did to verify the facts, he left convinced. He left convinced. Once he became convinced of the truth of Saul's story, he knew it was time for Saul to go to Jerusalem and to meet the apostles. So we need to listen, and we need to verify, and thirdly, which probably should be the first thing, but I'm going to give it to you the third, is to trust in God's power. Trust in God's power. Reject cynicism and trust in God's power. If we decide to take a risk on someone and yet begin the process with a cynical attitude, we're not taking a risk at all. We're simply waiting for the person to fail. We're assuming that they're going to fail. We're assuming they're going to do something against us, and it's not going to turn out good. If we're really going to take a risk on people uh, that God loves, we need to get rid of our cynicism right at the beginning. You never see Jesus being cynical in the Gospels. Why is that? Because cynics pride themselves in being realistic on understanding the way the world really works. No one understood people. No one understood the world better than Jesus did. So why wasn't he a cold, jaded cynic? Because he knew the power of God. He worked in the power of God. Jesus understood more than anyone else that God could transform people. I mean, look what he did. He walks by Matthew and says, hey, follow me. Tax collectors weren't nice people. He looks up in the tree and says, uh, um, Zacchaeus. It's the sycamore tree, yeah. Zacchaeus, come down from here. He knew that he was a bad person. And reconciliation was made to other people because of their salvation. He didn't walk into this as a cynic. He knew the power of God. Jesus understood better than anyone else that God could perform, transform them. So some Sadducees tried to trap him with a question. 
And Jesus told them what their problem was. It says, you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Wow. My question to you is, do you know the power of God? You don't have to understand the power of God. Do you know the power of God? Do you know God has power? Or is your cynical mind saying, yeah, right. At some point in our lives, we've had a Barnabas in our corner, haven't we? I've had a Barnabas in my corner. Yeah. Someone who believed in us when no one else did. They're willing to take a risk on us. And it changed our lives. We need a Barnabas. And now someone else needs a Barnabas in their life. You see, we need to move past our fear and be willing to hear that person's history that comes into our life. Or maybe they're there and you're just trying to keep them away. Arms put away. One fellow jokes around. He says, see these marks on my body? They're 10-foot pole marks. You know, keep them 10-foot away. We need to overcome our doubts by verifying the facts. And the facts will speak for themselves. We need to reject cynicism and trust in God's power. You see, Barnabas took a risk. He took a risk on this fella named Saul. And the world was changed. Chances are the reason you are a Christian today is because of this fellow called Saul who wrote much of the gospel. The reason you know how to live a Christian life today is because this fellow named Saul listened to what God had to say and gave us the how-tos of how to live as a Christian. You see, we need to move past our fear and be willing to hear the story of somebody else, just like Barnabas was willing to hear Saul's story. We need to overcome our doubts as we verify the facts. We need to reject cynicism and trust in God's power. Barnabas took a chance. God is asking you to do the same thing. Are you looking for opportunities to take risks in faith? Who needs you to be their Barnabas? You see, last week, I asked you to take a person. Maybe you haven't found that person yet. Maybe you have. And pray for them. An insignificant person. And you could pray for them from being a Saul to being a Paul. Being someone insignificant to being somebody significant. And I told you about my Sunday school teacher who prayed for me for years. And you know, I'm not saying I'm anyone significant, but God did use me many, many, many times for many, many, many people. In fact, we'd been in places where we were ministering to the second generation because mom and dad accepted Christ in one of the crusades that God had us do at their church and now their children were accepting Christ so I might have been significant to that family but I'm still insignificant I, I'm really nobody without Christ and I'm asking you to be that insignificant somebody to pray for someone to bring them along in the background 
And now I'm asking you to not be afraid to make a relationship. It doesn't have to be with that person. Maybe there's another person in, in your life you're just cynical about. Maybe that's just the way your mind thinks. This is the way the world is. This is the way people are. Think about the power of God. Did you ever think that as you're sitting here enjoying salvation, did you ever think that God one day looked past who you were and saved you? Think about that. Think about all the things that you did before salvation. And God looked past who you were and saved you. You know what that's called? That's called the power of God. And he wants you to be an instrument to look past the past of a person and listen to their story and believe in the power of God for their life. When I run, it's actually like being locked into my own little world for a while. And I find myself thinking quite a bit about life, about God, you know, the big questions. What's this race of life all about anyway? Where am I really going? And what about this runner's heart of mine? What, what if it stops beating? I mean, it will sometime. What then? And will I have regrets? Will I be happy with the race I chose to run? You know, some things I just wish I could do over again. It's like this 5K race I entered a while back. Should have been easy, but about a half mile from the finish line, I got so dehydrated and overheated, I had to quit. And I kicked myself the rest of the day, but the race was over and there were no second chances. But are there ever really any second chances in life? Surprisingly, the answer is yes. The Bible calls it salvation. Salvation is God's great second chance for every one of us. You see, all of us have stumbled and come short in the grace of life in some way. The Bible calls it sin. And our failures and the decisions we've made to go it on our own, independent of God, get us going down the wrong track and trip us up. But here's where God's second chance comes in. In fact, the Bible tells us to imagine a stadium filled with cheering fans. There are all of the people who have found God's second chance and they finished their run on earth. They're like the many people that I've met and perhaps you have as well, whose lives were recharged and redirected by this thing we call salvation. And the writer of Hebrews puts it this way to us. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and those are the cheering fans, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. But the next verse, that's the really important one. 
For it says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, he's the center of salvation. Destination, that's what it's all about. In fact, in this race of life, our destination is not so much an accomplishment or even a place. It's a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is the finish line, as well as the one who gives us the breath it takes to get us there. It's Jesus who ran through the wall of shame and pain at the cross in order to die in our place and through his shed blood to wash our imperfect record clean. He's the only one who offers us the free gift of forgiveness and invites us to start all over again. You see, that's really what salvation is all about, a new you. Do you realize how hard it is to get a new you all by yourself? So what about you? Where are you in this run? And where's it all gonna end? You know, someday this runner's heart of mine is gonna stop beating and, and so is yours. And the question is, what then? And what's gonna be at the destination? A lot of things that don't really matter in life? Or maybe the question is better, who will be at the destination? It can be Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died on the cross to take all of our sin, all of the guilt of our wrong choices and wrong directions in life. So I encourage you to say no to your sin and no to the track you've been running in life and say yes to Christ's forgiveness, yes to Christ's way in your life. And if you make that decision, I encourage you to tell a Christian friend or a pastor about it who can help you in this run. And I know that if you do make that decision, you will never regret starting this run towards Christ.